Luke chapter 15, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 this morning down to verse number 10. Beginning at verse 1, we read the following. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman... If she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has been going towards Jerusalem. The crowds have been swelling as he is going. And so Jesus reminded them in the last chapter that they needed to count the cost. You remember that, boys and girls? That they needed to count the cost if they were going to follow Jesus. Because Jesus was ultimately going to go to the cross. Now, it's interesting that in the crowds that are following Jesus, notice now that Luke records for us, there are two main groups that seem to be following Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that these two groups really set the table for these parables that Jesus is telling us, especially when we get to the third parable next week, about the prodigal son and the older brother. If you notice in the first couple of verses, Luke tells us in verse one, for example, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Now, Jesus had just told us at the end of the 14th chapter, he who has ears, let him hear. And apparently a number of the sinners are beginning to be awakened. They're beginning to, to hear. You can imagine the stir that it would cause in LaGrange here if suddenly people who were formerly known as sinners in our own community began to get serious about Christianity and began to get serious about attending the Word of God. And they started showing up not just in the mornings, not just at Easter, not just at Christmas, but morning and evening and Wednesday night, we begin to wonder, 
you know, what is what is going on? A number of these people were known for getting drunk. They were known for running around. They were known for maybe lying and cheating in business. And now they're suddenly coming to church and they're and, and this put the Pharisees off. They, they didn't greet this as a good thing. They saw it as evidence of compromise on the part of Jesus. And woe to us if we begin to see evident view others as compromising simply because sinners are now listening to their word being preached. So here the tax collectors and the sinners are coming near to him. The him, of course, is Jesus. Now, boys and girls, the reason that this is significant, of course, is because the tax collectors are not just IRS agents who aren't, aren't always the most popular to begin with. Anyway, I remember as a kid, I was watching a game show and in the game show, they'd ask the contestants, what do you do? And the guy said, I work for the IRS. And the audience booed him. They're like, oh, boo, we don't want this guy to win. Well, it was even worse in Jesus's day than getting booed by the by the studio audience uh, because they were viewed as traitors. And so they were socially ostracized by the Jews because they were the, the tax collectors were viewed as people who were complicit with the Roman government who is oppressing them as a nation and is uh, taking the money that belonged to them to support the empire. And so this tended to marginalize the tax collector socially. And so. It shouldn't surprise us that people who are marginalized socially sometimes also take up other things that marginalize them socially, take up sins that aren't respected. And so it is sometimes maybe people who had those sins went to those occupations. Not going to cost me anything more to become a tax collector. So these were the people who were, were not particularly popular. They had a bad reputation, boys and girls, in the community. Not necessarily people that others who were seeking holiness wanted to hang out with. And with them were sinners, people known for notorious sins. We know some of them were prostitutes even. And they were coming to listen to Jesus. You can imagine if women who were workers of the night and streetwalkers were uh, coming to church and... Uh, maybe even by their clothing, you know, still demonstrating their vocation and yet showing up to hear the preaching and the teaching of God's word. God is moving here. And but notice that the reaction in verse two, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Saying this man receives sinners and eats with them, so they don't like the fact that Jesus is entertaining and receiving people who are great sinners. This bothers them. It makes them suspicious about Jesus. Surely Jesus cannot be a holy man. If he was a holy man, he would know what kind of woman this is. Who is weeping on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And so they're complaining now. One of the things that we also have to take into context here is this. The whole community of Israel is the church of the Old Testament. So when we talk about these two groups, 
the Pharisees and the sinners. We need to what we need to realize. And I think what Luke is drawing our attention here to is this. There are two groups of people in the visible church community that are away from God. When we get to the third parable at the bottom, what is commonly called the prodigal son. One of the things that we're going to have to see is that Jesus is teaching. It's not just one son who is distant from the father, but both sons are distant from the father. And the two sons represent the two groups that Luke is mentioning at the beginning of the chapter. That's why I said these two opening verses really, I think, in many ways are controlling the interpretation of the parables that follow. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to sinners and Pharisees. Who are the two groups in view? Sinners and Pharisees. Sinners, a younger brother who runs away from the Lord. And an older brother who gives appearance of being close to the father, but isn't any closer to the father than the younger brother, because he won't celebrate when the younger brother comes home. Does everybody see that? So really, as you move through Luke 15, I think we have to understand the context of these parables is that Jesus is preaching and teaching to two disparate groups that are in the visible church, people who are in the covenant community, but have fallen away through severe backsliding. And those who have distorted the grace of God, turning the grace of God uh, into a form of a legal religion. Pursuing righteousness as though it were by works, Paul said that that was the trouble. The Apostle Paul said with his Jews, Paul knew what he was talking about because Paul was one of these two groups. And he said that the trouble was with the Pharisees is that while seeking a righteousness. They stumbled over the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ, because that is a righteousness that is received by faith. The Pharisees were pursuing a righteousness by way of works. So both groups have need of the gospel here. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember that we too, in the church today, whether we are respectable sinners or whether we are notorious sinners here this morning, whether you are a pastor and a pastor's wife, or whether you are a street walker or somebody who is known for cheating or for lying or for uh, philandering, we all stand on the same righteousness of Jesus Christ. We all have need of the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that comes alone by faith in Jesus. And so that is what we need to see here, that both groups need Jesus Christ. This is important, I think, for you boys and girls to understand as well, because you're being raised in a godly home by Christian parents in a Christian church. We want you to know the Lord, but you need to realize you come to know the Lord through faith in God's son, in Jesus Christ, not by trying to be a good Presbyterian, not trying to. You know, just simply, I'm, I'm righteous because I'm memorizing scripture. I'm righteous because I'm learning my catechism. Uh, I'm righteous because I go to the Sunday school class every week. 
We want to make certain that we don't do that. Now, it is good to memorize scripture. You should learn your catechism. You should be in Sunday school. All of those things are good. But all of those things have to remember are a means to drawing closer to Christ. They are not supposed to be pursued as a means to keep us from Christ. That would be the guilt of the older brother. So the Pharisees here, we are told in verse two, notice they begin to grumble. The Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. And you can hear it in the tone of the sentence, can't you? This man receives sinners and eats with them. What kind of savior is this guy? What kind of Messiah is this guy? He's making these sinners equal with ourselves. He, he shows them grace. He's giving audience to them. And in a sense, he's putting them on par with himself. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus begins to give us a series of parables. Now, the first parable is about the lost sheep. And notice here in verse four, he says this. I want to talk about the lost and found sheep. And then I want to talk about the lost and the found coin. Those are my two points here. Let's talk about the lost and the found sheep. The first parable. So Jesus says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So what's going on here? Well, boys and girls, you can imagine here a shepherd out in the field and he's doing a head count. One, two, three, four, five, six, two, six, 20, 30, 50, 60, 90, 91, 92, 94, 96, 99. All right, wait a minute. Let's start over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's counting again. He gets the same number. He counts again. He gets the same number. 99. I keep getting 99. Hey, Jim Bob, how many sheep are you counting? He calls to his assistant and they count. Yeah, I'm only getting 99. They realize one's missing. There's 100 sheep. One of them's missing. What does he do? Well, Jesus says he leaves the, the, the 99 that he knows are safe and secure in the open pasture. And he goes off and he goes looking for the one that is lost. He's looking for the one that's wandered off. Somehow one of them escaped the notice of the shepherd and the shepherd's dog. And has wandered off. So what does he do? Well, he, he leaves those that are safe, those that are known, those that are found. And he goes looking for the one that is missing. Maybe you as a family, you've gone through this yourself. Maybe the dog escaped and ran away. And what do you do? Well, everybody stops what they're doing and you, you, you leave everything where it was. And you, as a family, you go out and you go looking for the dog. Maybe somebody gets in the car. Another person gets on the phone, starts calling the neighbors. Have you seen our dog? Our dog is missing. Uh, and, and you begin to look for the dog. You go out, you call for the dog. You're yelling the dog's name. Um, maybe if nothing happens in the first day or so, then you get nervous, you start making flyers, you put it out there on Facebook and next door social networking in your community. Uh, maybe you call even the pound, the shelter, to see if your dog has appeared. Maybe somebody found the dog and 
brought him to the shelter. You, you start looking at more and more. Some of you maybe notice, know this even when uh, it's been a child and the panic sets in immediately. You're at the mall and it's crowded and suddenly you just you realize the child that was right there is gone. Where is it? And, and it sets in. And, and maybe, if, you know, if it's a, a, uh, an elderly person who has Alzheimer's, volunteers will get involved and their search parties and the police will start looking and they maybe even send a helicopter up or, to, or a drone to go and, and see if they can find uh, that person here. That's what Jesus is here talking about here. That, that Jesus is saying that don't despise me, the good shepherd, if one of my sheep is missing and I leave my 99 and I go after the one. And who is it that he's talking about here? Well, boys and girls, he's talking about the sinners, the tax collectors are like that one sheep that's missing. They've wandered off. Now, where did they go? Well, they wandered away from the Lord. They've wandered away from the good shepherd with their lifestyle. And Jesus here is purposefully, intentionally seeking them out. And I think this ought to be very encouraging that God is not passive, simply waiting for the sheep to return to him. The Lord is actively seeking lost sheep that belong to his covenant. He's pursuing them. Even if they're the ones who are wandering off, even if they know that they're wandering off, the Lord is the one that is pursuing them. And I think that should be encouraging those of you who are going through that yourselves as a family with a child or a grandchild who has wandered off. Notice here that Jesus says that the Lord is seeking them. And we're going to see this when we get to the third parable, because we're going to see the father's what he's scanning the horizon looking for his son. So there are these children of the covenant, even though they're adult tax collectors and sinners, they are nevertheless, they are, if you will, children of the covenant and they are missing. And so the heavenly father has sent Jesus Christ to help call them back. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep and he's pursuing the sheep. Now, I want to say a few things by way of application with this parable. I think, first of all, Again, we see the hypocrisy of a legal religion, the hypocrisy of a legal religion in that the Pharisees end up showing more love for their animals than they do for their fellow covenant members. Notice that Jesus says here in verse four, what man among you? He's taking it as a given that these men, if they had a hundred sheep, would go and find the one that was missing for an animal. And yet they do not have that same interest or compassion for those in the church. There's a problem and the problem is a paucity of love. A paucity of having a heart like the father. And so they are okay with people wandering away and not being pursued. 
It was much like this we saw with the Sabbath. Remember, boys and girls, how the Pharisees had the same attitude with regard to the Sabbath. They didn't want people to be healed on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, again, reminded them of their hypocrisy by way of animals. They would have no problem getting an animal out of a ditch, one that had fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, and that's an animal. How much more when a person who is bent over in their back or has a withered arm or has a, uh, an issue of blood, how much more should they, made in the image of God, a member of the covenant community, be healed on the Sabbath day? So we need to realize that when our theology leads us to a view that animals are of greater importance to us than human beings, then we need to retreat and go back. We've gone somewhere awry. We've made a wrong turn. Our theology has taken us somewhere that it shouldn't go. And that was the trouble with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They pursued a righteousness of their own through the works of the law. And what did it lead them to? They had no grace or compassion for people who were lost. And if we don't have grace or compassion for people who are lost, we need to check to see if in our inner recesses of our own thinking, we have not succumbed to self-righteousness ourselves. We need to check our foundations and to ask ourselves, do we believe that we are children of grace ourselves, that we are objects of God's mercy, that we, like notorious sinners, have been saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ? Or do we have this attitude that I am righteous by way of my devotion to God and that it is my devotion to God and the things that I do which gain me favor with God and those who are lost? Well, they should be lost because they aren't devoted to God in the way I'm devoted to God. So Jesus here is trying to show the Pharisees. And I think Jesus, to be fair, is being as compassionate towards the Pharisees as he is towards the sinners. You know, he's not scorching them at this point. There there are places that he does do that. But I think Jesus really is being as compassionate to the Pharisees in their misunderstanding of God's law as he is towards the sinners. They're both lost. Both groups are lost. Just only one group is, has any self-awareness of their lostness. One group knows they're outside the church in the favor of the church right now. The other group is still in the church and they don't realize, though, that they're out of favor with God. Because of their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. And, and that's the danger for all of us who are here every Sunday when the door is open. The, door, the, the, the danger for us who are always here is is to end up becoming self-righteous, forgetting that our relationship with God is based on grace through faith in Him. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that we know grace uh, is that we show grace to others. We show grace to people who need to be pursued, who have fallen away, who have wandered off from the flock. Now, I want to say that this same attitude also that is found in Christ 
is to be reflected in us as the body of Christ. Remember, Jesus is the head, we are the body. And so I think when folks do go missing, ideally, the whole of the body is to be reacting. Remember, the Apostle Paul said this way when he was describing the body of Christ. He said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Um, so when my point is, is that when someone goes missing in the church, we cannot pretend like it doesn't matter. That the, the, the eye cannot say, I don't need them. It doesn't matter. When folks go I'm missing, ideally, the whole of the body ought to be responding. Hopefully, when people are missing, Many people are checking in on them and, and making the phone calls to find out how they're doing, where they've been. Now, so I do want to encourage you to do that. Um, don't feel that it's just the minister's responsibility, just the elder's responsibility to find out what's going on when somebody's missing from church and you have begun to notice it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you yourself. You're, you're a member of the body. Uh, you're, don't worry, you're not invading the, the responsibility of the elders by taking a, a phone call or writing them a letter or, or, or visiting them at their house. That's, I, I don't want anybody to feel like, well, I, I would like to find out and know how they're doing, but maybe I should just leave that to Pastor Boyd. Maybe I should just let the elders handle that situation. I, I, my view of the reading of the scriptures is that it's incumbent upon us all to demonstrate love for one another. And missing from church is not a not just a private matter. If if you're missing and you, you then and everybody knows it, you know it's it's not a it's not a private sin to skip church. Um, now, of course, you know I I, I do want to say that you know there there are good providential reasons people have to miss. And I'm not speaking uh, to those issues. But, you know, sometimes it, we, we don't know. and we People call. So don't be offended if people keep calling you and, hey, where you been? And you, you have had a legitimate excuse. You take that as a sign of God's people loving you, uh, that, that they're checking on you. There's another thought and application I have for this, um, and, and that is, I think there, we see reason for encouragement if you are the backslider. Look at, uh, at our text again. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, I say that this is an encouragement because notice here, this is this is the attitude of heaven. That when you are found, the good news for you, if, if you have wandered off yourself from church, the good news is heaven is happy to have you back. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And then Jesus says, making the application of the parable, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy, notice that, more joy, 
in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the good news is heaven rejoices in your return. If you have been away from the church for many years and you think, can I ever go back? I've been away so long. I've, I've been backslidden so long. I've, I've been under church discipline for so many years. Uh, can I ever really go back? And the answer is yes, that heaven actually will rejoice in your return more than he rejoices in us being here in the first place. Now, I know some of us are saying, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) But that's the point, isn't it? If we say, hey, wait a minute, we're just showing ourselves to have the spirit of the older brother. Because that's what the older brother said. He said, hey, wait a minute. I've been here the whole time. And you never threw me a party and you never killed the fattened calf for me. And I've done everything you've been telling me to do. And this prodigal son of yours (laughs) comes home and you do all this for him. And and Jesus is saying, yes, that, that is the attitude of heaven. Heaven is rejoices. In one person who's been away from the church, coming back into the church than all of us who have been here Sunday by Sunday for years. And we need to learn how to party and celebrate with people who come back to the church. Now, I want to move on to the second parable here. Spend the remainder of our time on the lost coin and the found coin. Uh, It's the same idea, but it's a little bit shorter. Now, in verse 8, Jesus says, What or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Now, what's going on here? Well, boys and girls, here's a, a woman. And we, we kind of assume that she's an older woman, maybe a widow. She's by herself. Uh, there there is, is no sense of any other family member living with her. Notice she rejoices with friends and neighbors. So she's living by herself and she has ten silver coins A silver coin back in that day would have been representative of a a day's wage. So she has about 10 days wages saved up and she loses one of them. Now, this woman could be poor. Commentators think that it's possible that she might not be very wealthy. And so that, that this is all that she has are these 10 coins. Notice here that she's sweeping the house. Some have suggested that that may be a sign that she has only a dirt floor. And she loses one coin. And what does she do? Well, she lights a lamp. She, she may live in a home that does not have much by way of natural light. Could be a very small window. Uh, and so even in the daytime, she may need a lamp in order to find this coin. But what is she doing? She's taking great effort here to look for this one coin. And she does find it in the province of God. And she calls her friends and neighbors and asks them to rejoice with her because she lost that coin. Maybe she had been telling them for the last couple days she had been missing this coin and had been bothering her. And I think we've probably all been there where we suddenly realize something's lost and we have to stop until we find it. Maybe it's been that car key of yours uh, and you literally can't go anywhere until you find those car keys. Uh, Maybe you've lost a wedding ring 
uh, and you suddenly realize my wedding ring is missing and you don't remember ever taking it off. And and uh, but yet you, you were working on something, doing the dishes or something, and it's missing. And you're wondering, do we need to call the plumber? You know, is it sitting in the bottom of the, the P trap in the drain there? Uh, and you, you quit running the water, not wanting to wash it away. Um, we, we probably all have been there, even if it wasn't something va- of value to us. Sometimes it's just frustrating. It's, sometimes it's just difficult to psychologically move on until you found what has been bugging you and, and, and to find it. Now, notice here again, this is a, again, boys and girls, a picture of the Lord. And the way, notice here how diligently the Lord is looking for those that are missing. Notice the diligence here that is being applied. The lighting of a lamp, the sweeping of the floor, the letting, informing neighbors that something is missing. I think, I, I think, I assume that because she then notifies them that it's found. I don't think you, you know, you don't tend to call people and tell them, hey, I, I found it. And they say, well, I didn't know it was missing. Um, <laughs> So she's obviously been uh, letting others know. Notice here that there is a lot of diligence going on. Again, this is this is the diligence of the Lord. This is the Lord's heart looking for lost people, looking for people that are have been a part of the covenant community, been a part of the church, maybe made a profession of faith, but they've wandered off. Maybe due to lifestyle choices, maybe maybe because they got offended at something. And but for whatever reason, they are not there. And notice that the church is to be pursuing folks like that. We are to pursue them. Now, when she finds the coin, she calls friends and neighbors together and asks them to rejoice with her. And so there is to be celebration here. Now, everything stops when the missing are lost. And I want to suggest here a couple of things by application. Number one, I think the evangelical church has lost something of the priority that needs to be given to finding people that have publicly professed faith in Christ but walk from the church. Too many churches have too many people on their roles that are not being pursued. I, I know of churches, and we're not perfect in this, though we try to be purposeful in it. And I, I remember I had lunch with one pastor here in town, and, and we were talking about this, and he said, now I know you're going to get mad at me. He, he was saying this to me. Because I said, well, how many members do you have? And he told me how many members he had. And I said, well, how many show up on Sunday? And there, there was a significant number on the roll that don't ever go. And they're still kept on the roll. And I think we, one of the things, if we are to see, I think, reformation uh, in our own day, I think this is an area of reformation, shepherding the church and, and pursuing those who are on the rolls and who essentially, for all intents and purposes, are missing. But are not accounted for. Now, some, again, providentially have to be missing due to illness or care of an aged parent or something like that. But there needs to be, uh, I think, a, a reprioritization in the church of finding, shepherding 
those that are members. Sometimes I've even thought, you know, why should the Lord add to our number if we won't be faithful with those that God has already given us? The Bible says he who is faithful in small things will be given more. And if we are unfaithful in a hundred people that the Lord gives us, why should the Lord give us 200 people? So I don't want to just say that I think this application is for them out there. I'm applying it to ourselves as well. I think this needs to be a priority for ourselves as a church and as a session. And let me just say, Pastor, we have a few who are missing. And 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 just to let you know, yes, the session has been calling and writing. And we've in one case shown up on the doorstep of recent. Uh, not with any success as far as we know so far, but we're still praying. And we ask you to pray with us and for us uh, as we try to do this, this work. I think we, I think this is incumbent upon us. I think that's one of the implications of this parable. Is that we do due diligence, we light a lamp, we sweep the floor, we look for the lost coin. So I think we need to give priority corporately as a congregation to seeking the return. You know, we I think maybe it's out of embarrassment, but, you know, we, we never seem to re- pray for people who are missing in Wednesday night prayer. And, and maybe it's I don't know, maybe maybe it, it's out of a, a desire to be gracious and not draw attention to the situation. But, you know, I wonder whether whether or not it might be better. That we just agree as a covenant community, if you go missing, we're going to publicly pray for you. (laughs) I would want that. Um, And as I said, also, it needs to be a a priority for us. uh, Us. I'm speaking to my fellow elders here. Um, This needs to be a priority um, we notice here that, that in both parables, they seem to stop what they're doing. And as important as other things are, the, the, the budget, the building plans, the picnic, the, the, the other things that the session deals with, maybe we ought to say, you know, let's just forget about that for right now and make this the priority. Uh, helping to see the return of those who are missing. Um, now, it may be that they won't return despite our best efforts, despite all our prayers, our reaffirmations of love. You know, we have to trust the Lord. We don't know. The Lord may indeed work that over time. But we, I think we need to avoid the idea that, we're, well, we're just not going to do anything about it. Just let it go. I think they, what we see in these parables is that they stop what they're doing. They realize a sheep is missing. And they do something about it. They leave the 99. The woman realizes a coin is missing. She stops what she's doing and she makes it her task. Let's get that coin. And I I would suggest that needs to be, I think, our church priority. Our priority as a session. We we stop what we're doing and we say, okay, we know what our first business is. We've got this family, this family, and this family that are missing. And we need to do something about that. Let's pray.